Thank you for joining us today on another episode of Making Sense of Money. I'm Jake Hamilton. Last episode, we talked with Chase Raywinkle, the Director of Banking here at IDFPR, about one of the hot topics of investing right now, short selling. And we talked a little bit about the GameStop scenario as well. So tune into that episode if you missed it to learn more about what that means and how it fits into overall investing. This week, we're going to be revisiting the topic of credit with a couple of my friends and financial educator colleagues, Kamaya Wallace-Bichard from University of Illinois Extension and Natalie Daniels from DePaul University. If you've been listening to Making Sense of Money since the beginning, you may recall that we touched on credit in our fifth episode, Understanding Credit. However, we all know that credit is a complicated topic, so it's worth revisiting. Kamaya and Natalie co-hosted a webinar in November that we did as part of the Get Savvy, Grow Your Green Stuff webinar series called Conscious Credit. And you can now view that recording on the Student Money Management Center YouTube channel. They did such an excellent job that we wanted to have them to talk more about credit on this podcast. So Natalie, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background? Sure. Thanks so much, Andrea. So I'm an accredited financial counselor through the Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education. I've had that accreditation for about 10 years now, and I've worked at the financial fitness program at DePaul University for almost 13 years. I love talking about money. I love educating people about money, and I'm really excited to talk to y'all about credit today. Thank you so much, Natalie. We're blessed to have her as part of our Get Savvy, Grow Your Green Stuff webinar team because she's so knowledgeable, but we're also glad that you're on the podcast today. Kamaya, I know a lot about your background since we've worked together for so many years, but can you introduce yourself to our listeners and provide a little bit about your background? I'll be happy to. Hi, everybody. Name is Kamaya Walls-Bichard. I am a consumer economics educator with University of Illinois Extension. If you're wondering what's the consumer economics educator in the University of Illinois Extension, um, I basically do personal finance. I teach personal finance mainly at the community level. So teaching people about just like different financial topics for folks along the life course. I also wear like different hats um, even within that. So I'm also a podcaster. And I have like a team blog. So we are a team of three. So we do a lot of different work. We offer in-person and public webinars. So a lot of different things we cover in terms of personal finance. And I'm so happy to be on. Thank you both for joining us today. Uh, We're really happy to have you. But as as a bit of a refresher for some of our longtime listeners and a small introduction to credit for those new to the podcast, Kamaya, would you be willing to share how you define credit and why it's important for consumers to understand credit? Yes. And Andrea knows I love definitions. We always start there, start at the beginning. So we're kind of on a similar place. And I find that a simple definition for credit, um, of course, makes it easier to understand. So when I think about credit, I think about um, money or resources that you borrow as a loan to cover the things you need and the things that you want. Um, It is also convenient for you to use when you need it and how you need it. With that understanding that it is kind of like a contractual agreement that you will have to repay with interest. And when I think about credit too, I also think about the different contexts and cultural contexts in which how credit is used. So not just money, but also resources when we think about like credit. 
for me, when I think about credit, like one of my, it's one of my favorite topics to teach. And one of the goals, of course, is to help create like that awareness around credit. A lot of us have some basic knowledge and we hear things here and there, but creating like that awareness so that we understand a little bit more about how it might impact our lives and our futures. Thank you, Kamaya. I think you always do a really good job of incorporating kind of the behavioral or cultural aspects into why it's important to understand financial concepts. So thank you for kind of providing that broad overview. We went over this a little bit in our last episode on credit, but I really appreciate getting alternative perspectives on how the credit system works. So Natalie, can you give us kind of a high level overview of how the credit system works from your perspective? Sure. So the credit system is a complex web of different people, consumers, businesses, all coming together to create these profiles for people, these credit scores and credit reports that kind of dictate how you will operate within the credit landscape. So essentially what happens is that companies where you use credit or the companies that you hold credit with report your payment history to the credit bureaus. There's these three overarching places, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, they kind of collect all of your information and data, put that together into a report that you can see and that other prospective lenders can see um, that contains your payment history, your balances, a lot of different information about your credit. And then that report information is used to generate a credit score. And that's kind of a numerical number. I like to think of the credit score as a predictor of how likely you are to pay your debts to different companies. So they can look at that score and say, this person is going to pay me back money. This person might pay me back money. This person, I don't have as much confidence that they'll pay me back money. And then that's your credit worthiness. And that credit worthiness is determined in that score. And that score determines the cost of many financial services. So the amount of interest that you might pay on loans, if you're going to be approved for an apartment or a mortgage, um, if you're going to be approved for a credit card, all of those different pieces kind of all come together. Thank you. And I know something that you touched on in the webinar is this concept of credit invisibility. Kamaya, can you talk a little bit about the research you have found on consumers that are considered credit invisible and possible contributing factors to that? Absolutely. So we know that millions of Americans do not have like a credit history with any of the three major credit bureaus that Natalie just mentioned. So Equifax, Experience and TransUnion. And this information comes from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and it indicates that there's kind of like an additional 19 million people who have like credit files that are too thin to actually produce a lot of information for lenders to fully evaluate. So there's little information there. So when we think of, you know, access to credit and the importance of credit in our lives, whether or not you choose to use credit, like the value it has in our society, there are a lot of people who would like to use credit or choose not to use credit. And those folks, of course, are considered like the credit invisible. So when we think about credit invisibility, since lenders use like our credit history and our credit worthiness, as Natalie just mentioned, um, to determine, you know, whether or not to lend to us, people who fall in this category of credit invisible, you know, may have a hard time obtaining some of the things that they need to do. So maybe it's, it's renting an apartment, different things like that, that might hinder them. 
So people may be credit invisible, again, because of kind of like aversion to debt or credit, or they may have like limited access to credit. And when we think about people who are debt or credit averse, that could be because of, you know, past experiences or how they've seen others use credit and they develop kind of like just like a negative response to it and choose to avoid using it. When we think of access, access could be just barriers that people face. So having like limited access because of things like credit discrimination, yes, it still happens. Credit discrimination happens. And I get asked that question. So people from different groups might um, experience that. And that, of course, can, um, you know, hinder like their usage of credit. And it makes them not so much trustworthy of like different um, financial institution as well, too. So, you know, when we think of credit invisibility, just knowing that millions of Americans are credit invisible for, for a number of reasons. Kamaya, thank you so much for touching on the access piece. Advocating for equal access to credit is so important. And I know that there's a lot of organizations within Illinois that are trying to address that as well and working on that as well, both like at the nonprofit level and at government levels. But it is still an issue and we still have to pay attention to it. Yes, definitely. It's so crazy to think about. Um, So with the advocacy piece, I want to touch on consumer protections. So besides IDFPR, helping to protect consumers in Illinois by regulating financial institutions, Kamaya, can you talk about some of the federal legislation that has been put in place to help protect people using credit? Absolutely. We have rights as consumers. There are things in place that definitely helps us understand, you know, if we're denied credit or, you know, if if we experience certain barriers and we're not quite sure what's going on, um, just knowing that there are federal laws that protect us. And one of them, of course, the Equal um, Credit Opportunity Act, this, of course, you know, acts creditors may ask relevant information about your situation, because, again, they're lending you their money, they're lending you their resources, they're going to want it back. So they can look at related personal information about you. So they might ask questions about your age and your marital status, but they may not use that information to decide whether or not to give you credit. And not everyone who applies for credit get it at the same rate either. So we all have like our different history and profile. And sometimes it's trying to understand what are creditors, what are lenders legally allowed to do versus, hmm, this doesn't look right. I wonder uh, if my, maybe I should be questioning this. So, you know, lenders use these factors such as your income, um, your, your debt, your expenses, your credit history to consider um, your credit worthiness. But again, they can't use certain protected factors to, to decide whether or not to lend to you. And those protected factors that are covered under federal law, some of those, of course, include like your age, disability, race, religion, housing, gender. Those factors um, cannot be used as determinants for whether or not you do get credit. So just knowing that as an individual, you have rights. And sometimes, you know, in credit situation, whether you're buying a car, you're applying for a mortgage, they will need to look at like that background information. But Sometimes we can, we, it might be subtle and sometimes it might be right in your face where you feel that you are being discriminated against because of these protected categories that you do understand from. So um, just knowing a little bit more about understanding how to 
to kind of recognize that um, it, it's very important. And so when I teach on this topic is not to say, you know, every negative experience you had at the car dealership, <laughs> it could be credit discrimination. No, I think if you've um, purchased more than one car in your lifetime, you've had some uh, moments at the car dealership where you question it, but just understanding how to recognize what credit discrimination might look like and how that might affect you as you're trying to build your financial well-being. Gotcha. Thank you, Kamaya. What role do the actual lenders, like the people who are making credit available, ensure like what role do they play in ensuring compliance with this legislation that you're talking about, the, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act? Do borrowers also have a responsibility in this or is it just all on the lenders? <laughs> There's so many players in the credit game, right? So many players. And of course, lenders have a responsibility to provide like that fair and equal lending practices that they are regulated to do and to treat um, people fairly. And, you know, they're responsible for looking at your background information. So properly analyzing that background information, looking at your credit information, reviewing your application carefully, you know, providing like clear policies and regulations that, that provide also good customer service for you. So the lenders, they do have like responsibility that they have to, to execute when they're working with like consumers. But you as the borrower, I know, you got some responsibilities too. It's not all on them. Yes, they are responsible for some stuff, but there's some stuff that we have to make sure that we take care of when we're thinking about buying. And that's part of being like that responsible consumer, that responsible user of credit. So as the borrower, think about like what you can afford. What stage in life are you? I um, mean, you know, if you're in college and you're, you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to take out a loan with like a co-signer, or if you're at a stage in your life where you're ready to consider buying a house, just what can you afford and how will you be able to like repay this loan that you were borrowing? So also understanding that and then thinking about like your, your credit history, and just what experiences have you had with like money management, understanding your money personality. So just, you know, what kind of buyer are you? Um, you know, how do you think about money? Do you have a plan in place, like a spending plan um, to work on different things? So just making sure that you as the borrower focus a little bit internally. So we're going to turn it internally just to understand us and whatever information you are providing to like these lenders making sure that that information is up to date and accurate. Did you move? Is this your right social security? Um, having like the right information too um, can help with the processes you're, you're figuring out how to apply for a new loan and just decisions that you're going to make around like your financial lives. Thank you, Kamaya. I think you're right about how there are a lot of different players mm -hmm. when it comes to the whole borrowing, borrowing process. So Kamaya focused a lot on lender responsibilities and borrower responsibilities, but it's also important to understand that co-signers also have responsibilities that are basically the same as borrowers, and that's important to consider. And sometimes lenders sell loans to different servicers. So who you actually borrow from initially may not be who you have to maintain a relationship with to make payments to after you actually get the loan. So servicers are different than lenders and 
they still have compliance. Very, very <laughs> true. All these flares. <laughs> and it, it might even get more complicated as finances get more complicated in the future. But as of right now, kind of those are the main players in the overall borrowing relationship. So let's say like something happens and you run into issues trying to get credit. Maybe you're denied. Do you have any rights, Kamaya? Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. So there are a lot of reasons, lots of different issues that might come up when you're trying to like establish in credit. And it's funny because you're you're trying for some folks who are trying to establish credit is like, okay, I do I have a lot lack of credit history, which is an issue for me trying to establish credit, right? So try starting from the bottom. So lots of different things. You may be denied a credit application that you apply for. You may have been a victim of fraud or identity theft that kind of messes up your, your your credit history a little bit. So when we think about like how do we address these issues? Like if we have like these different things come up when we're trying to establish credit, you know, how can we address these challenges? So of course, with us, like when you're establishing credit and you have like a new credit application or you have like a new credit payments, just always making sure that you make those payments on time. And I know a lot of time people focus on just like the credit score, like the, just the numbers, but making sure that you spend time with that to build your credit and be patient and know that it won't happen overnight. I've worked with different populations, re-entry populations from prison who people are trying to reestablish like their credit history and just understanding that that will take time as they're, they're going on with different accounts with like co-signers or even just like for young adults. They're, they're starting out and they're trying to, 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 to establish that. And they might be working with a parent or a loved one to, to build their credit history. So just being patient. And of course, making sure that you're monitoring your credit information, because that is important. We need to know what's happening there. We don't want any surprises. We don't want to go to a lender and, you know, they pull up our information and there's a surprise on there. So you have access to like your free credit reports at annualcreditreport.com. And now until 2022, 22, you can have weekly access to like your credit information. So just making sure that as a consumer, you are paying attention to that. Now, Andrea also brought up something about like with the issues to and if you're denied credit, like what do you do? So here you are, you are so excited. You applied for this new loan because you are ready to take this next step in your life and you are denied credit. So as a consumer, I love talking about our rights. We have rights. Um, you know, if you're denied credit, you are entitled to what we call, what they call an adverse action letter, which is kind of a notice that you have been denied credit or employment or insurance, whatever it is that you applied for. So based on that information that is present in your credit report. So that letter should indicate like which one of the major credit bureaus that came from and how to contact them because you can follow up to see why you were denied if there were different things about your credit history that you wanted to focus on. So just knowing that you have those rights to kind of learn a little bit more about why you were denied that access. So as you're building or rebuilding credit, um, you can take care of that. So just wanted to share those few tidbits. Yeah, absolutely. We always... We have stressed the importance of checking your credit 
And like Kamaya said, right now you can, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the changes they've made to restrictions on the amount of times you can check your credit, you can check it weekly as opposed to annually before this year, this 2020 and this last year, you could only check it once a year, but now you can check it weekly. So it's definitely a good thing. You can stay on top of that right now. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing how to build or rebuild credit is, is very important, especially since access to credit impacts your ability to pay for goods and services, as well as the cost of things like car insurance. It's not just loans. There's other aspects that sometimes, you know, credit can affect, can affect many different aspects of your life. And now we know there's also a lot of misinformation out there uh, about credit. So we want to address some common myths and facts about credit. Natalie, what are some of your favorite myths that you've heard about credit and and why are they myths? Myths about credit are literally one of my favorite things to talk about Um, when I'm working with my students at DePaul, when I'm working with people in the community, you hear a lot of just wrong information about what's going on with credit and how this all comes together. So we've pulled together some common ones. I'm sure there's many more out there that people can address and that people have come across, but some of them I wanna go over here. The first being that you start off with a credit score of zero. So I can see where the logic behind this is. Like, it's like, I don't have any credit, so my credit score is zero, but at least with with FICO, which is the main credit scoring system, and Vantage, which we'll talk about a little bit later, no credit scoring systems really start off at zero. Most of them range kind of between 350 or 300, potentially up to 900. So why they start there? Don't know, but that's where they start. And that's kind of how the um, credit system has been created. So there is no credit score of zero out there. And that's, that's one that I always get a good chuckle about. This, this next myth kind of actually makes me a little bit sad to think about sometimes. The idea that just having a credit card means you're going to be in debt. And again, logically, I can hear and see where some people could experience this. They see people in their families, people in their communities that have credit and they're in debt. And they're like, oh, if I get credit, I'm just going to be in debt. There's no way of escaping it. So really thinking about good use of credit and how to use credit to increase, build, maximize your credit profile, your credit score, your whole credit history is what you kind of want to think about. In a perfect world, everyone would pay off their credit cards in full every month, never carry a balance, never collect any interest. You know, that would be the ideal perfect world. Um, And you certainly can have a credit card and do this. Obviously, sometimes we people can't pay off their balances in full. That's a lot of times people are using credit when there's an emergency and they're using it to help cover gaps. So yeah, you could end up in a little bit of debt, but hopefully you also have a plan to pay that off in a reasonable and structured manner. So just having credit does not mean that you have to have debt. So this one, it's not even a myth. Well, a myth, I guess, would be that you have one credit score. And that credit score is the same no matter where you check it, where you look. That is absolutely not true. You have multiple different credit scores. So I've been talking primarily about FICO as the primary credit system, but you even have multiple FICO scores depending on where you're getting those from. Each of the credit bureaus is going to have a slightly different score for you. You could have a credit score for auto loans specifically, so an auto credit score. 
banking looks at credit in a different way. Um, there's all these different places that are gonna look at credit scores in multiple scenarios and you're going to have multiple scores. And even from the same place, your score could be different one day to the next. So your credit score changes, your credit score is different um, and it's going to always, I guess, kind of be in flux, you know, that's one thing it's about. It's both something that your number kind of is a number that changes over time, but it's also a number that is that changes periodically. So it's a snapshot in time based on sequential behaviors, which is kind of hard to think about, but both of those things come into play. One myth I've heard is charging high amounts on your credit card is going to help your scores. And that is just, just not true again. Um, so you wanna make sure that yes, you can use your credit card. Yes, you theoretically can charge up to your credit limit, but we don't want you to. Charging up to your credit limit is going to be actually a factor that could hurt your credit score. So you wanna charge small amounts ideally that you can pay off within that month. You wanna show some use of your credit, but again, you do not need to have a high balance on those cards at any point. I just did another class on this too, where we broke down the credit usage thing and it's about 30 to 40% is kind of that sweet spot, right? Yep. 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 So I usually tell people, try not to go over 30% because I feel the more leeway you give them, the more leeway they're going to take, right? So, and sometimes I'll even say, you know, less than 30, you know, 20 to 30, which is maybe a little on the conservative side of things. But yeah, you definitely do want to stay below that 34 to 40% of your credit limit piece to keep that credit score looking good. Another one that I hear a lot is that checking your own credit score is going to lower your score. And that means that sometimes people don't look at their credit scores, which is not what we want <laughs> them to do. So your credit score is your own information, right? This is something that you are entitled to. You're allowed to look at your credit score. When people look at a credit score, it's called a credit inquiry. And there's two main types. One is a soft inquiry. And this soft inquiry does not impact your score at all. You can look at your credit score and that will be a soft inquiry. Also, a company you already have a credit relationship with can look at your credit score and have that be a soft inquiry. When it's considered a hard inquiry and that impacts your score is when you are contacting somebody to be extended additional credit. So let's say that you are applying for a new credit card, applying for a new loan, applying for a new apartment, applying for anything where they're like, can I check your credit score? That's gonna be that hard inquiry. And it will have a credit impact on your credit score, but it's not a huge one. It's a pretty small one, you know, it ranges maybe three, five points somewhere in there, depending on the rest of your credit profile, it, it all, changes depending on the individual, but that can come right back up with good credit practice over time. This one is a, this is a hard one. So um, this is that you should close credit accounts you don't use to help your credit score. And this is kind of a myth, but it's, it's a mixed myth. So sometimes there's factual reasons and there's, there's some good ideas for why someone might want to close a credit account. But this goes back into what Jake was talking about with that 30 to 40% of your credit available credit. So they're gonna, your credit scores, they're looking at your debt to credit ratio on individual cards, but also over your entire credit profile. 
So if you are closing an account that maybe had a high credit limit, but you're not using it, so it had a low balance, you're suddenly cutting off a lot of your available credit. And that could increase your credit utilization level overall, which could potentially have a negative impact on your score. However, sometimes lenders look at available and unused credit as a risk. So that could be a thing that could maybe mean it would be a good idea to close your account. Another thing could be that you could just feel like you have too many credit accounts and it feels overwhelming and you want to get rid of some of them. And that could be a good thing to do for your own personal financial history. It doesn't necessarily all mean if it's good or bad for my credit score, it's good or bad for me. So you want to look at your own personal financial picture and see if closing that card makes sense for you as well. And I think that wraps it up for me. I love talking about this. Love the myths and the facts about credit. Always generates good discussion when we're talking with people. I agree. I, it's some of the myths that I've heard from people about credit are, I, there's a logic behind it. You can see where that came from, but knowing about the credit system, you're like, I don't, what? Huh? Kamaya, do you have any additional myths that you've heard? No, my favorite. Now you covered my favorite one about like that having like that one universal credit score. You know, the idea that we have like this one and it's so crazy. Like, why do these look different? Why are the points different here? So, yeah, that's kind of like my favorite one. And, you know, people when people ask us, like ask us as educators about like the, the, the different pieces that they might be they hear different things. So they're not sure like what is true and what's not true. So part of her job and Natalie has done such a great job with that. It's kind of breaking down like those myth piece. So yeah, she covered my favorite one because I get a lot of questions about that one. Uh, one of my favorite ones is one that I've heard for a long time from multiple people, even when I was young, before I could use credit, that you have to carry a balance in order to establish credit history. And I've seen people develop really strange credit repayment strategies to try to maximize on this myth when it just stresses, it kind of just stresses you out. So like I had a person tell me that they would make multiple weekly payments on their credit card while still carrying over a balance to try to minimize how much interest they pay while still carrying over a balance so they could quote, establish credit history. And this person seemed very stressed out. And I was like, I'm not sure that this strategy is helping your mental health, your mental well-being, and it's definitely not making an impact on your credit score. So dispelling those myths are so important because it can relieve stress for some consumers. Not to mention that like when you make multiple payments on loans or credit cards, a lot of lenders will actually hold the payment until the due date and then apply it so they can maximize interest. So just making multiple payments in this situation didn't really necessarily help them unless the lender was immediately applying the payments, which I've, I've rarely seen, but I, I'm not a lender. I mean, they want, usually the lenders want to do what's in their own best interest because they are in the business of, of making some money. Yeah, and that's why we have so much legislation to try to protect consumers. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know like if I have a favorite myth along the same lines. I can tell you that I know that when I was in college, I thought like you hear about on-time payments with credit 
And I thought that meant like paying my rent and my utilities on time, which I now know, obviously, my utility company is not extending me any credit. My apartment building is not extending me credit. Those don't affect your your FICO score. But I think it is important to like demystify some like these things about credit. And I know like when we talk about credit at IDFPR, like what we try to do is is break down what goes into a FICO score. And and once you understand that aspect, you know, whether it's, you know, on-time payments, inquiries, length of credit, credit usage, how much those particular factors, you know, have an influence on your credit. Once you kind of understand how, like what the lenders look at and how your score is structured, I think that can help a lot of people, you know, avoid these myths and, and make better credit decisions for themselves. We also want to talk a little bit about like the different types of credit we've mentioned so far on this uh, on this podcast, you know, credit cards, auto, home, all these different types of credit. Natalie, can you explain the difference between revolving and installment credit? Sure. So these are kind of their two biggest overarching credit types are our revolving credit and our installment credit. And we've spent a lot of time talking about credit cards so far. So I'm going to start with those. Those are what's considered revolving credit. And I kind of think about it this way. With your credit card, you have your credit limit and you can spend up to that credit limit, which we don't encourage you to do, but you can theoretically spend up to that credit limit, then pay it down and up and down. And it just keeps going and going and going. And there's no specific end date to that credit relationship. That company has extended you credit. You can use it as you pay it off and it keeps going in a revolving manner. Your installment credit, those are things that are more likely loan products. Um, so like a mortgage, a student loan, a car loan, a business loan, something where you have borrowed an amount of money and you're going to pay it off in chunks for a designated and agreed upon period of time, and then it's done. So those chunks are often referred to as installments. And you're paying off this credit in these installments until um, you have cleared up that balance and then that loan is finished. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. And what about secured versus unsecured credit? Sure. So what I think about with secured credit is I think about something that has a backing to it. For example, a car loan. If you are not to pay your car loan, the company could take your car away. That car is securing that loan. With a mortgage, your house is securing that loan. There's something called a secured credit card. And a lot of times people that have adverse credit histories can use a secured credit card to help build up their credit history. And in that case, a financial deposit is securing that loan. And that deposit could be equal to the credit limit on that card, or it could be potentially a portion of the credit limit on that card, depending on how that secured card works. So thinking about secured credit as something that there is a backing to that the company could take, like usually a physical asset of some type, so money or a house car, et cetera, that that lender could take away from you to get their money back, essentially, if you were not to pay them. Some people call it collateral. Yes. If you've heard of collateral. Definitely. Collateral is another thing that people often will call that. Your unsecured credit does not have anything backing it. So there's no physical item, there's no collateral, there's nothing backing that loan. Just your your good word um, is kind of what's backing 
that product. So our typical credit cards are unsecured credit. It's essentially you just having that signed agreement that you're going to pay this money back and there's not anything that they can come take away from you if you do not make your payments. So for instance, student loans are typically unsecured. They're not going to come take your degree. Correct. They're not going to suck the education out of your brain that you gathered from going to school. Thank goodness. Right. (laughs) I was thinking of the movie Repo Men when you were talking about repossession of collateral. Oh, oh. All right. So if you listen to the last podcast on credit, you know that we spent a lot of time talking about credit reports versus credit scores. So credit reports contain information about you, including your credit history, like amounts and types of debts you have, your payment history, and even credit inquiries like Kamaya and Natalie talked about previously. And each of those three main credit bureaus, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, are required by law to give you a free copy of your credit report once every 12 months through annualcreditreport.com. Currently, we know that they've extended that weekly credit report polling from it was going to be April 2021. Now it's through 2022. Very excited about that. Everyone is raising the roof on this podcast. Credit scores, on the other hand, use the information and data in those reports to come up with a rating of your credit worthiness, like we talked about. And there could be hundreds of different scores. Natalie mentioned several. There could be hundreds that are all related to you. There are two companies that make a lot of the scores that we've talked about. Um, FICO, which we've mentioned a lot, which used to be Fair Isaac and Company, and Vantage Score, which was a collaborative effort by the three main credit bureaus to create kind of a competitor for FICO, which is used by like 80% of lenders. I've seen lots of different statistics there. But Natalie, would you like to talk about the differences and the similarities between FICO scores and Vantage scores? Sure, they are very similar, but a little bit different. So um, I'm going to start by talking about the FICO score a little bit, because we said this is the primary score that you see, kind of the overarching one. So we've talked about a lot of these components a little bit throughout the podcast so far. And I want to start with the biggest component of your FICO score, about 35% is your payment history. So that is you paying at least the minimum balance on time every month. And, you know, as much as I've said, like, we want you to pay off your cards in full, we know that isn't always the case. Your payment history is you paying at least the minimum required balance on time every month. And your payment history over seven years stays on that credit report. So one missed payment will show up (laughs) six years from now that you missed a payment six years ago. Um, And it has a diminishing impact on the score, but it is still there, still a factor. So you're really looking at that overall payment history. And there's some things like bankruptcies, liens, judgments that can stay on that credit report for even longer. The next big chunk of your FICO score is your amounts owed. And this is kind of what Jake and I were talking about earlier with that 30-ish percent utilization of your credit balance. So they're going to look at how much your credit limits are and how much you owe on those accounts. And again, you want to keep that to 
that 30 to 40% of your credit limit. Going higher than that, you'll start to see the score come down a little bit. Those I always say to someone that's just starting off with credit, you pay attention to your payment history and the amounts that you owe. That is the big things that you have control over. Some of the other things have a little bit less of a personal um, control component to them. So like the next section is 15%. That's the length of your credit history. And you're not gonna magically, you know, all of a sudden have credit for longer. That's just time. You just have to wait, continue those credit relationships, build that length of credit history. Because there is a magic wand when you inherit credit history. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that is definitely, Andrea. That's a really good point. So if you are put on as like an authorized user, on somebody's credit account. All of a sudden, all of that history for that account, including the age of that account, goes from that other person's credit history and poof, lands on yours as well. So you can poof, suddenly have um, a longer length of credit history if you're being an authorized user on someone else's account. That's a way that I see a lot of people that are just starting off with credit, all of a sudden building really strong credit scores. And, you know, there's a access component that comes along with that and a class component that comes along with that. And there's some equity things that we could talk about that come along with that because you have to have someone in your life with good solid credit that trusts you enough to put you on their credit account to have that magic wand and not everyone has that same access. And that you trust and that you trust enough, right? Because they can mess up your, you know, so so that that goes two ways. Mm -hmm. It it does. It definitely does. I think the, probably the component that most people don't talk about, and maybe Kamai, you've talked about this on Family Financial Feuds, your podcast, is because usually families don't, at least in the U.S., talk about finances. You could have like a parent or an uncle be like, hey, I'll make you an authorized user on my credit card and I have 20 years of history. But if they've made frequent late payments, like 30 or 60 day late payments, that's showing up on your credit history too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you get that offer for a magic wand, ask some very pointed questions and maybe ask to see the credit history first. Yeah, I think that's really important. And also thinking about how they're using that card because maybe you're getting access to one card and this person has a much fuller credit profile Mm -hmm. than you do. So the impact of that one card on your credit profile could be disproportionately large than that one card on that other person's credit profile because maybe have mortgages and car loans and student loans and you know all these other things that they're paying off in multiple credit cards with different utilization rates and you just have this one and if it's one that gets used a lot it could be look much worse on your credit profile than it could on theirs there's a lot a lot to think about with that magic wand (laughs) a lot to think about with that length of credit history they're also looking at your average age of accounts right so looking at your oldest account your newest account and that overall average age as well Then we have our two little small chunks, each at 10%. One is new credit, and that's kind of any time you're applying for new credit. We talked about how that could potentially lower your score a little bit with those hard inquiries. 
And then finally, having a mix of installment and revolving credit accounts is that last 10%. And that can certainly help a little bit, but it's not, I, I never say that's like the big thing. Don't go out and take out a loan just to increase your different types of credit accounts. That's not necessarily what the goal is here. So it's something that, again, I think comes with time, comes with age, comes with as you're building your credit profile. And it's only that little 10%. Um, so the Vantage score, little bit different, very similar <laughs> all at the same time. So that payment history is still the biggest chunk, but it's a little bit bigger. It's at 40% rather than 35%. And then they have something called depth of credit. And that's more of like those different types of credits and that whole longevity, all of those different profiles coming together. So it's like kind of mushing together the credit mix and length of credit history and new credit, like all in this one kind of depth of credit, bigger credit profile component. And that's about 21% of your score. Your utilization is only 20% there. So that's kind of like a bit of that amounts owed they're looking at as well, but in a slightly different way. Recent credit application, oh, your balances, they're looking at your balances. So how much you're actually carrying on different accounts. So credit accounts also other types of loan accounts as well comes in there on balances. Recent credit applications, so that's kind of like that new credit, um, and that's only around 11%, that's like only around 5%, so a little bit less than it is on FICO. And then finally, your available credit. So it's interesting that they kind of break out available credit balances and utilization into these different factors, whereas those are a little bit more um, lumped together in the FICO score. So it's very similar components, slightly different weighted when you're talking about FICO and Vantage. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. I think it's important for people to know the difference between the two if they hear about them and know how they're different and like how they might compare too. But since Andrew mentioned this earlier, FICO is used by as much as 80% of lenders, you know, there's different statistics out there on it, but 80% is a pretty fair estimate. Can you talk about what the different credit score ranges mean for FICO scores, Natalie? Sure. And this, this is data that comes from FICO, but it's also data that changes slightly here and there over time. So take these ranges with a slight grain of salt, I would say, because each lender looks at them slightly differently and they, they can move up or move down and you know a little bit if it's in this range it doesn't mean for sure this is going to happen because it's very hard to say for sure anything sometimes when it comes to credit and how that all comes together it's all like well a mix of these things and then we're going to assess these other things and then come to a decision so right up at the top the excellent FICO score and sometimes when you're applying for something like a credit card or a loan you're going to see what type of score you need to be approved for it if you're shopping around a little bit. That top tier excellent is usually between maybe 760, 770, depending on where the economy is sitting at the time, all the way up to that perfect FICO score around 850, sometimes 900, depending on exactly which scoring model they're looking at. That great score is kind of within that 700 up to that 760-ish mark. From mid-600s up to 700s is, is good. You're probably going to get approved 
for a loan, you're probably going to get a relatively decent interest rate on that loan, although not quite as good as someone with a great or an excellent score. Um, then you get into what we call fair credit history. So you might still qualify for a loan at this point, but maybe your rate is going to be a slightly higher, a higher interest rate. And that's kind of those low 620 or so to that mid 650, 660 amount. Poor credit scores, you might still get a loan, but again, that rate is going to be much, much higher. And that's kind of those high 500s, 580 or so to that low sixes, 620-ish. And then we have those very poor scores. And those are kind of below that 580 mark. Um, you may qualify for a loan. You may not qualify for a loan. Depends on each lender's kind of credit profile that they're looking at, credit worthiness that they're looking at. And if you do qualify, your interest rates will be very high. Sometimes when people are getting into that poor and very poor piece, it starts to make sense sometimes to look for co-signers on those loans to help get a better interest rate. But co-signing is complicated, so you may or may not have someone with a more solid credit score that is willing to co-sign on a loan with you, but it could potentially help get you a little bit better interest rate on some of those loans. Thank you so much, Natalie, for breaking that down. I think it's really valuable to understand some of the nuances and that it shifts. And depending on the lender, they may have different priorities on who they're going to give credit to and what the rate's going to look like. Um, And not just lenders, even insurance companies, they have different priorities too. Since behavior plays such a big role in credit scores and our credit histories, Can you talk about some of the common mistakes that people make with credit and how that can impact your FICO scores, Natalie? Yeah, definitely. And this is something that kind of mystifies some people when I talk about it sometimes. And the one thing I really like to say when I'm talking about credit missteps and how that impacts your score is the bigger you are, the harder you fall. So the better score you have, the more likely a negative action or a credit mistake will have a larger impact on your score than someone that has a lower credit score to start with. And I'm going to kind of go back to the idea that we talked about earlier with the score being a predictor of how likely you are to repay your debts. So if you have a high credit score, you have a high likelihood of being able to repay your debts. And then all of a sudden you do something wrong, right? You you make a stumble, you make a mistake. And it's an unexpected behavior from you. So let's say you're someone with a 780 credit score, like in that maximum, that great, excellent credit score range. And all of a sudden you max out your credit card. Maybe you're, I don't know, let's say you're, heaven forbid, your dog got really sick and needed an operation. And though we all know, I know I'm making everyone really sad because we all love dogs on this podcast, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, And we know vets are really expensive, right? So maybe you're putting all of this on your credit card and you maxed out your credit card. That could take you down 25 to 45 points, just getting to that maxed out credit card. Missing a payment, a 30 day late payment, could knock you down maybe up to 100, 110 points just because you missed one payment by 30 days. And I not a week, 
if you're a week late on your credit card, that's not going to impact your score. But if you miss a whole billing cycle, that's when it hits your score. A debt settlement that could take you down 105 to 125 points and a bankruptcy down a 200 plus points, right? So you had this really good score. You did something unexpected. It drops your score significantly. But let's say you have kind of a middle credit score. So you, like you, you're probably going to pay your debts back, but like they know you might not always be perfect. That maxed out card is now 10 to 30 points of an impact. That 30-day late payment is more like 60 to 80 points of an impact. Debt settlement down from 100 down to 45 to 65. And that bankruptcy down from a couple hundred down to more like 130 to 150. So again, someone with this lower credit score is predicted not to behave as well. So they have a less of an impact on that overall score with negative behaviors. Thank you so much, Natalie. That is a lot to consider. So let's get down to business. We've talked about the credit system and how it works and different terms to be aware of and the scores and kind of the myths related to credit, to all kinds of things. Let's get down to business on what consumers can do to build, rebuild, and or maintain good credit. Kamaya, give us your recipe for credit success. Lots of delicious ingredients. You know, when I think about it, and even like listening to Natalie and all of us on here, I just, this is one main reason I love credit so much. Because even how we teach credit, how we deliver just like credit information is so different. So I always love, love hearing from these folks. Um, so when I think about like my ingredients, you know, I think about like that awareness of your background. So some of the stuff we talked about in the beginning. So that awareness of your background and your responsibility is kind of like an initial step. I think just like Andrew is saying, sometimes money is a hard topic and sometimes we, we don't really want to approach it, but just deep dive into your background a little bit um, to understand your credit history. Um, what will your responsibility be as someone who's borrowing that money? And, you know, what are the terms of, of repayment? So understanding that. Also understanding like the upsides and challenges of credit. Sometimes I think there is a larger focus on the negative. But just knowing that there are mixed people have mixed feelings about credit, but definitely focusing on, you know, what are some of the upsides? What are some of the challenges when it comes to like borrowing using credit? Also thinking about like what you actually need and using what you need. So and then, of course, having a plan for repayment. You have to pay it back, folks, just having a plan for repayment. So that might mean, you know, taking one of our webinar on how to create a spending plan, how to set like effective goals that are going to work well for you, because we're not all the same. Our goals, you know, even though you may have similar goals, like the way how we approach like setting goals is so different. So, you know, just like tailoring it curating like your goals to your needs and what your future, what you want your future to look like. So that that's an important one. Also, you know, finding health ways to maintain a healthy credit history. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, we have, and I say we as in our consumer economics team and University of Illinois Extension have a training program, a volunteer training program where we work with money mentors. And in that program, you know, we, we deep dive into discussion on, you know, tell us about like your early experiences with like credit usage and people share a lot about just the missteps that they've taken with like using credit. And so just knowing that, 
it doesn't have to be perfect, but a big part of like establishing and maintaining like a healthy credit history is learning from those mistakes, moving on from those and developing like a healthy profile for yourself and for your family if you do have one. So just making sure that you are, you know, keeping your credit utilization low. A lot of that we've talked about considering like the amount that you owe. So all like these different components that's going to have like a, a bigger impact. You know, think about like yourself now and think about yourself in 30 years, will that older self be a little bit upset because of some decision that you make today about credit? So, you know, part of it is like that visualizing process. So as you're thinking about like, you know, what do you want for success? Just, just focus in a little bit on like some of the things that you can do today just to make it better for tomorrow. Thank you, Kamaya. That's a great recipe. And I know we touched a little bit about this earlier with respect to this year and last year with COVID and that consumers can check their credit weekly now. Do consumers have any other special rights with regards to their credit right now because of the pandemic? Things are constantly changing, just like we were talking about, too, even with like checking your credit report weekly. We are so excited that it got extended to another year. But yes, there are a number of things that people, we, we still see the struggle with unemployment, you know, paying things on and paying things off on time. Like for a lot of people, the struggle is still there. And so during the pandemic, kind of like with similar disasters um, that happen and national emergencies, like your creditors might be willing to, um, in some case, provide like loan extensions or just reduction in like interest rate, different things. So they might be flexible on like payment things. And I know for last year in 2020, we had like some very specific things, but like I say, things are constantly changing, but you can check with your lender for any accommodations that they might make in terms of like repayment. So if they're at, if you, they have options for you to defer or pause one or more payment, if you can make partial payment. Or, or any modification to your loan or any other kind of assistance that they might have available. So talk to them, see if that they can accommodate you or if you can have an agreement with them. And sometimes they might be flexible and not everybody is that flexible. So if you don't get any kind of agreement or accommodation from that lender, you can also talk to them about something that came out last year when they were talking about like different special comments that you can have noted on your credit history. So you can talk with your lender, even if they are not going to grant you, you know, a deferment or pause on your repayments, just talk to them and having them note that because of the national emergency due to the pandemic, that you are unable to make like these payments right now. And this information can go on your credit information, but it, it doesn't affect like your credit score, but it's just a statement that helps you know, potential lenders in the future saw that this what there was an emergency happening. And that's the reason why I might have like some mispayments or different things like that. So there were um, a number of things that came out last year through the CARES Act, that's the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act that came out through that. And some things have changed, but some things are still in place, but it's never hurt to ask, just definitely ask your lenders. Or servicers. Or servicers, yes. All of them players. <laughs> All of the players. <laughs> Natalie, I know that recipes differ when you're looking at different cookbooks or whatever, making the same thing. So I want to know what maybe additional steps or what does your recipe for credit success look like? It's a really good question. So I always think about credit as a tool 
in the bigger financial wellness kind of toolbox, I guess we'll say. So credit is there to help you along the way and get other things that you want. So for example, good credit management today could help you get a better rate on a house you want in the future. It's, it's something that we don't technically need, like, sure, I could save up a couple hundred thousand dollars and buy myself a house, all right, theoretically, maybe, but it's a lot easier <laughs> to go and get a mortgage to cover um, my housing payment, right, and then make monthly payments on that along the way. So I think about good credit management as a tool, and I also acknowledge when I'm working with people that sometimes your tools break. Sometimes things happen that are unexpected. Sometimes maybe you were on a really good trajectory with your credit score and something happens and it goes down. And that doesn't mean that you are a bad person. It doesn't mean that you are a financial failure. It doesn't mean that you're going to have bad credit forever, right? It's a tool that we can rebuild. We can buy a new one, so to speak. We can get, get it back on track. So I think that it's really important to know that credit is part of this larger picture of financial wellness and finances go up and down and change over time. And that's part of how it works. And you can always right the ship. And that's what you know we're here as financial educators to do is to help you get to that better place, to help you get where you wanna go. Um, so I think it's just paying attention using your credit wisely, paying off your bills on time. And if you do run into trouble communicating with your lenders, your servicers, all the different players, um, keeping that open line of communication open and asking for help when you need it. Can I use that line? There's a line that she just said that I really want to use. Credit is a part of the larger picture of your financial wellness. I love it. It is you are so welcome true. To it, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, credit certainly is a part of the picture, but it's not the only thing that you need to focus on in, in regards to your financial health and wellness. But I just want to say thank you, Natalie and Kamaya, for joining us today to talk to our listeners about credit. You both obviously know so much about it. And we know this is an important and sometimes complicated topic. So it's always great to get different perspectives on it. So thank you. I can't agree more with Jake. I'm so thankful that Kamaya and Natalie joined us today. It's always good to have fellow educators on to share their different perspectives. And again, credit can be a really valuable tool, like Natalie said, when it's used responsibly, or it can cause a lot of damage if you're not careful. So it's obviously a topic worth revisiting probably in the future again when on, on this podcast. But again, thank you, Kamaya and Natalie, for sharing your breadth of knowledge and perspective. We really appreciate it. If the listeners weren't already aware, I think I mentioned it earlier in the, the podcast, Kamaya co-hosts her own podcast with our colleagues, Sasha Grabenstetter, who you heard talk about investing a couple of weeks ago, and Kathy Sweedler called Family Financial Feuds, which we'll also link in the show notes. So you can get some more podcasts on financial well-being. Thanks for and the shout out. <laughs> of course, Kamaya. I binge watched it a couple months ago or binge listened, not watched. And it was very, it was very great. Jake, can you remind me what our next episode is supposed to be on? 
Yeah, uh, our next episode is going to talk a little bit about student loans and student borrower protections in Illinois. We're going to have one of my colleagues on from the Division of Banking, IDFBR. We are the Division of Banking, but we regulate student loan servicers as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about student loans and the protections that borrowers have there. So you won't want to miss that. So follow us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, and we're also on SoundCloud.